Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 116. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison, and you're listening to Archivos Brainstorms. On Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to come on to the show to pitch a story idea to us and <laughs> our esteemed guest host. And then we dive in, sifting through the sweet sands of story, looking for those luscious, luscious nuggets of good story goodness, pulling them out, creating a new mosaic of fabulosity that we like to call literary gold. And friends, once again, uh, I am flying solo today. I know you're, you're all going, where the heck is Marie Billado? She will be back, dear friends, I promise. And and no one will be more delighted about that fact than I. Uh, uh, but for now, we will soldier on. And uh, you'll be okay. Honestly, I've been doing this a while, friends. You're in good hands. Doubly so, because we're about to welcome back our guest host, uh, uh, who is fulfilling her trifecta here on the Archivos Podcast Network. Dear friends, please welcome back. Back to the Archivos virtual studios, fresh from a fabulous conversation of Archivos insights just seven days ago, Mer Lafferty. Mer, hi Dave. Uh, hello, hello. It's it's like a little mini convention here uh, in the in the virtual studios. I know. Between between Worldcon and Balticon, our our paths intersect enough throughout the year that that every time I hear your voice, there is this sort of convention spirit that rises in my heart. <laughs> so it's always a lovely thing. All right, I, well, it's Mer. We got to go to the bar. <laughs> there is that. Meet you at the bar, Mer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Let's let's have our conversation. Well, honestly, Mer, I'm delighted you're back, and and I'm keen, excited, and delighted at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you, ma'am. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, sure. You're you're always fun to talk to. I love being on the show. So for the third time, how special, how, actually, how special am I? Actually, I can count on one hand the number of people who have been on the show three times. All right, uh, so I need to be on the show four times. Really. That's right. Then you will be the, the, the pinnacle, the apex guest host, and everybody else will be gunning for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. Before we get into all of the awesomeness to come, I, I, I want to ask you, Mur, you've, you've achieved a great many things on your journey thus far uh, as, a, as a writer and a storyteller uh, and as a mentor and, and coach through your podcasting efforts and your efforts last week, actually now two weeks ago, uh, uh, with, with, with NaNoWriMo, which is fabulous and I'm sure was awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious now to ask, Burr, what's coming up in the world of Mer Lafferty? Well, there's something I can't talk about. Uh, I, I do have a project. I would love to mention it, uh, but can't talk about it yet. Oh, um, we are working on season four of Book Burners right now, which is the uh, collaborative world I share with uh, Max Gladstone, Andrea Phillips, uh, Margaret Dunlap, and Brian Francis Slattery, yeah. where we, we all work together to write uh sort of seasons of one story each story is individual but we do a whole season arc like television and we're working on season four right now and i'm doing a daily podcast for my patreon supporters for NaNoWriMo which is i'm pretending to be a radio station and trying to cover the things NaNoWriMo worries about via that narrative outlet and granted uh, I believe your listeners already know that we record this well before you actually post it. Right. So I will say that that I've only gotten four done, but I'm hoping my creativity stays for the rest of the month. <laughs> but uh, it's been fun so far. So, well, what, what were the uh, what were the top stories uh, uh, of of the last uh, news broadcast from Radio Free NaNoWriMo? Well, the the big news story was day one when uh, hordes and hordes of writers stormed the stores and there were riots to buy pens and <laughs> notebooks and writing software. And really, the governor just wants you to stay home, stay home. We're all citizens and we need to remember we have one job and that job is to write 1,667 words today. Don't go out. Don't participate in the riots. <laughs> just stay home. Then I did a 
preview of tonight's award-winning audio drama, which is the the actually today is is going to be the the preview of an audio drama, which is the season ender, and it's very exciting, and it's called the character who wanted nothing, and the <laughs> preview of the um, radio drama has has John and Barbara arguing because Barbara will not get out of the chair because she doesn't want anything. And he's yelling at her going, the narrative is outside. I was going to say, this will even be in here if you just wanted anything. And this no, is a, she this is a horror anything. story, isn't it? This is a total yeah. horror story. Oh so, God. So the character that, who didn't that's want my little anything. Message, that your characters need to want something. And if you find yourself stalled in the story, ask yourself what your characters want and, Put it on a high shelf away from them so it will be difficult to get to. Oh, friends, uh, uh, go to patreon.com, do a search for Mer Lafferty, and do yourself a favor and, and, and throw a couple of bucks her way, uh, even just for Nano. Even just, you're, you're yep. allowed to, to jump in and jump back out again. Nobody's going to think the less of you for it. Uh, nope. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, what about conventions, Mer? What's on your What's on your convention docket for the coming year? It's kind of hard to say because I'm pretty much done with 2017. I'm planning for 2018 now. Um, it's funny how when you look at the end of the year, you think of it as like a hard stop, but you realize that January is two months away. And yeah. so if I want to go to a convention in January, I better freaking plan for it. Yep. But I, I'm going to uh, Confusion in January, which is in Detroit, Detroit. which is yeah. quickly becoming like the world fantasy con for people who don't like world fantasy con <laughs> it's it's a very pro focused convention yep. it's small it's it's really awesome i've been a couple of years now and it's just an awesome tiny con i mean there are people who come from all over the country and a couple that come from england to go to this convention it's it's yep. i think it's the best kept secret which i'm just totally blabbing about right, right now <laughs> you and me but, both uh, you know the bar con yeah. is exceptional you can't you can't swing oh, a dead yeah. cat in the bar without hitting you know sam sykes or or mer lafferty or somebody yeah so it's a it's a really good convention are you going this year that's the plan that's the plan. Me, me and Archivos are, are, are going to make the scene, and Terry will be there as well. And we awesome. will we will party on hard with the with the cool kids. And then, um, then I'm not sure. I've got I'm going to WorldCon in San Jose. Yep. And I think that's all I have planned. Um, my secret project may have me traveling <laughs> with the publisher, but I don't know. That's not that. That was hinted at, but nothing's been confirmed. So I really can't tell you beyond <laughs> Worldcon and Confusion, unfortunately. What anguish it must be after striving so hard to achieve, you know, <laughs> success as a writer to be gagged by the publisher saying you may not speak of this awesome thing. <laughs> oh, dude, you don't even know. It's just like like the people I've been able to whisper it to are like, oh wow, that's so cool. I'm like, isn't it? Don't that, please, I could get in trouble. <laughs> but um yeah it's exciting i'll be very happy to talk about it when i can but Excellent. Um, yeah we, can't we yes. can't can't have to kill you sorry yep uh understood understood well I'll, I'll make sure that goodness uh gets into the liner notes and all the other linky links and clicky clicks that that your name has acquired uh over over your long tenure as the doyen of speculative fiction but here here's the thing right now mer i want to i want to pause and and give a little podcast airtime to our sponsor archivos the story development app for today's storytellers but once that's done I would love to brainstorm a story with you. You down with that? I'm totally down with that. Let's Sweet. do it. Sweet. Awesome. Friends, don't you go anywhere. Check out this tasty bit of news. We got a special nano promotion that's still going on for Archivos. Check that out. And when you come back, it's going to be fabulosity. We'll be right back. It's National Novel Writing Month, people, and if you're taking the 50,000-word NaNoWriMo challenge, then you got to start prepping, and I mean now. Archivos wants to help. From now until November 30th, any registered NaNoWriMo participant can get three months of Archivos absolutely free. Three months of all the story documentation, mapping, and timeline features, all the displays, everything you need to really wrap your head around your story totally free. With Archivos, you can look NaNoWriMo in the eye and say, I got this. 
Learn more about scoring three months of Archivos absolutely free at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand, the reason why you're here, certainly the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm, and that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding forward to the admittedly less comfortable writer's chair here at the Archivos Virtual Studios, uh, uh, and dear friends, uh, by day, our guest writer for this episode applies his powers as a PhD statistician to the work of data modeling and prediction for a Fortune 100 company in Ohio. By night and on weekends, he balances his role of personal chef, chauffeur, and manservant to two teenagers with his not-so-secret identity as an avid tabletop gamer and multimedia creator. In a past life, he wrote for various White Wolf imprints and more recently has had his fiction featured on the Flashcast and the Melting Podcast, both most worthy endeavors of your time in the spotosphere, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in addition to world-building for his latest role-play campaign and writing fiction, he is currently preparing to launch a Patreon, tentatively titled A Travelogue of Places That Never Were, coming in January 2018. And he also has an awesome girlfriend who puts up with his ever-growing list of projects, and brother, I do so feel you. Uh, dear friends, please welcome David Blue Wentz. David, yes, woo, thunderous applause, the crowd goes wild. Uh, uh, David, you and I have met in the real world numerous times. In fact, friends, if you weren't aware, uh, uh, you can go out to the Archivos Facebook page and see several pictures of Master Went manning the Archivos booth at Gen Con. Uh, Like a champ who acquired, I might add, one of the few, not one, but two trifecta of sales uh, in within a five-minute span. It was just badass. Dave, dude, it is never easy to toss up your baby for scrutiny, even among beloved friends such as Murr and myself, so my hat is off to you, and I am deeply grateful for you stepping up and doing this thing with us, man. Thank you. I wouldn't have anybody else beat it up but you. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will be gentle. There will be almost no bruising whatsoever. Um, Dave, I gotta ask, and, and this is something that I, I've been meaning to ask you for a very long time. Uh, anybody that knows you will see the quote blue uh, swedged in the middle of your name. And I'm curious, uh, as you evolve and become known in broader and broader circles of fabulosity, uh, people are going to want to know, where does that come from? It actually goes back to uh, where Murr and I met virtually. There was a chat server. There was already a David. There was already a David W. And I picked, uh, at that time, it was Blue Lang. And purely because of a role-playing character I was, I was running at the time. But Blue stuck, and now more people know me as Blue than know me as David. <laughs> and so I'm Blue, and wow. I'm never going back. Dude, that's impressive. That's impressive. And, and that's a testament to the, to the power of online cyber and virtual communities because, you know, I, I have a login where I'm Dave28265, but I'm not carrying that bad boy around with me. So, you know, respect, man. Absolutely. Very cool. And, and now, friends, you heard it here first on the Archivos Podcast Network. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Dave, let's get into this, man. I'm keen to, to, to hear your story idea. You know how this works, man. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the title, the genre, the format, uh, target audience. Give us a tagline to sort of set our brains down the path of the story you're envisioning. Introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us the tent poles of the story as you envision it, and we will be rocking an awesome brainstorm. That's all I've got. I'm out of the way. Dude, the mic is all yours. Fantastic. Thank you, Dave. We're pitching the story, The Mysterious Death of Doug Danville. It's a superhero-themed mystery. Uh, My audience is targeted at adult, and I'm thinking novella length, 
we'll see where it goes from there. The tagline is, a former sidekick already struggling with his self-image attempts to unmask the mysterious man who has stolen his mentor's identity, but will learning the truth destroy everything he thinks he knows? The theme, despite the cape and cowl trappings, this is really a coming-of-age story where a young man must confront the complexities of life. The story is set in Prize City, home to the mysterious Black Owl. Prize City is maybe a bit bigger, darker, and grimmer than we're used to, but it's still recognizable as a modern city. Prize City has a new pantheon of costumed heroes, vigilantes, and villains. Most of the heroes have gathered together under the Black Owl's banner, forming a group that has been nicknamed the Owl Clan by the press and the populace alike. Other cities in the world also have costume characters, but so far it has been rare for their adventures to overlap. Our protagonist is Nathan Hale. He is, or was until very recently, the eaglet, sidekick to the mysterious Black Owl. Technically speaking, he's the fifth eaglet. The first, Bud Pierce, split from the owl decades ago under unclear circumstances, and until recently has been operating on his own as the hero Night Talon. Nathan Hale projects an aura of confidence and independence to the world, but like many young people, he struggles with insecurity. He is driven to prove himself to a father figure, in this case the Black Owl, who literally rescued him from life on the streets. When he sees someone impersonating the Black Owl after the hero's death, Nathan wants nothing more than to honor his mentor by proving this new Black Owl a fraud. By the end of the book, his youthful and simplistic view of the world has been shattered, and he is coming to come to grips, struggling to come to grips with the complexities of reality. Turner, aging butler of Danville Manor, is the original Doug Danville and our antagonist. For decades, he has cloned himself to create a sequence of dozens of black owls, believing that only the black owl can defend Prize City. Turner has an incredibly strong will paired with an equally strong ego, and that very ego has made it difficult for him to partner with adult heroes. So he relies on impressionable young men and women to bolster his clones in the field. Turner believes, rightly or otherwise, that if the secret of the Black Owl is discovered, the hero's legend will be diminished and he will cease to be an effective protector of his city. Over the decades, this has led to him becoming more and more insular, trusting fewer and fewer people. In fact, in recent years, he hasn't even shared his secret with the current Black Owl. His increasing paranoia leads him to believe that Hale wants to bring the house of the Black Owl tumbling down. Turner also wants to retire. Despite his best efforts, his body is wearing out, but he knows he can't give up his post until one of his clones has sufficient experience to take his place. He had high hopes for the last Black Owl, but with his death, Turner has to start over. Subconsciously, he blames Hale for delaying his retirement. At the end of the story, there's a good chance Turner will be dead. Additional characters. The Grey Vulture is the Black Owl's oldest surviving nemesis. He is also secretly a failed Danville clone that got away from Turner's decades ago. Until recently, he had two goals. The first, to show his superiority by killing the Black Owl, and the second, to keep his identity a secret from Turner and therefore maintain his freedom. With his first goal completed, the second somehow feels less important. So he decides to further prove his superiority by bringing down her Turner's house of cards, ultimately revealing the truth of his identity to Turner only after he has taken everything else from the old man. At first, he sees Hale as a tool in this new goal, but as the book progresses, he sees something more in the young man. Perhaps Hale can be a new nemesis, or maybe it's just a kindred spirit. In a way, both are orphans. Final character I'm going to focus on now is Bud Pierce, Night Talon. He was the original Eaglet. He's now in his 70s, though his career as a hero has kept him incredibly fit, and he has the body of a 50-year-old. Still, he's thinking about hanging up the cape and cowl and settling down. Bud has known Turner since Turner was Doug. He agrees that Price City will always need a black owl and initially supported the cloning program, assuming that the clones would keep the black owl identity warm until he was ready to slip into the role. Ultimately, however, Turner's ego drove Pierce away and into his own heroic identity, and thus he never became the black owl. Despite this, over the years, he has made peace with the old man and become his ally. Prize City still needs protection, and that still means the Black Owl. And at this point, Pierce doesn't know who else could fill those shoes. 
As far as the story goes, I tend to get scenes in my head and then work to build connective tissue. I'm really hoping our brainstorm can help build a skeleton to hang these ideas on. I'm going to start with some background that will likely be a reveal in the third act. In 1940, Doug Danville was a wealthy New York playboy who decided to fight crime. He created the identity of the Black Owl to fight injustice, and as far as the world knows, he has done so ever since. But the Doug Danville, who Nathan Hale mentored under, was not the original. In fact, there have been dozens of Doug Danvilles over the decades, and the man who wears the mask now is another. Each of these Doug Danvilles are clones of the original, created by Turner, and activated upon death of their predecessor. Moving into the story itself, the story will open with Nathan Hale in his guise as the eaglet, watching the gray vulture beat his mentor, the black owl, to death. Nathan will drive the criminal mastermind off and deliver the black owl's body to their lair, just as he had been trained to do, and then will slip off into the night to pity himself. A few nights later, Nathan discovers that the black owl is back, but has no idea who's impersonating his mentor. He begins to investigate, trying to gain proof of the imposter, but finds himself opposed at every turn, by the owl's allies and enemies alike. Every answer he finds leads to more questions. Why has the owl not seemed to age? Why are all Danville's properties owned by Turner? And why is the owl's first partner opposing a search for the truth? There'll probably be a couple scenes here with Nathan breaking into the city hall for answers, or Hale confronting other members of the owl clan, only to be frustrated by their responses. I suspect we will see him start to reflect some of the grim aspects of both the mystery and superhero genre as his frustration and youthful ire are constantly fueled without a healthy release. Finally, there'll be a scene around the Grey Vulture. He's going to be conspicuously absent early in the book, but he will return and become an increasing presence. He knows the Black Owl's secret because of his identity as a failed clone. Toward the middle of the book, his influence will start to be felt again, initially as cryptic notes guiding Hale to clues, but I believe ultimately there will be a face-to-face confrontation between Hale and the Vulture, where Hale must decide who and what to believe. In the end, Nathan learns the truth, and knowing the truth must decide what role he will play in the future of Prize City and beyond. Bam! There we go. All right. Holy crap, Dave. Um, that was excellent. That was superb. We've... We- there's some good story food in here. What are you hoping to get out of the next yeah, half hour, 45 minutes of brainstorming? Um, like I say, I'd like to, to start to build a little more skeleton under the, some of these scenes. I'm also very much aware that I'm, I'm bumping right up against a lot of genre tropes, and I want to make sure that I can avoid doing that unintentionally. I don't mind hitting genre tropes, but I want them to be intentional. Right. Right. Yeah. And there, there, I think Murr and I will both find some, some points where we'll need to figure out, is this an intentional hit? And if so, why? Uh, uh, and if not, maybe propose alternatives. Yes, definitely. Definitely. There, there's a lot of good story food here. We, we, before we dive into this, uh, uh, we need to, we need to cover our butts. So, uh, David went, you are about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, inspirations, and insights. And it is vital that you acknowledge that everything said from this point by myself and by Murr may be complete hornswoggle. Uh, I just love that word. Um, this is basically, this is your story, man. And whatever we have to say, it is entirely up to you to decide what you keep and what you throw away. Cool? Awesome. Excellent. Very good. Then let's dive into this bad boy. Um, We usually start with a quick once around the table for some first impressions and also to ask any questions of clarification that that came up during the pitch. We always start with our guest host. So Mighty Murr, would you be so kind? Start us off. What were your first impressions of David's pitch? And and what questions do you have to to clarify the story terrain? I'm starting to think that you should... uh mail out the, the story pitch so people can look at it just because I'm I'm overwhelmed with a completely new idea all the characters started to mush together in my mind now remind me who which ones are clones Doug Danville is the original and he has now taken the identity of Turner octogenarian caretaker of Danville Manor right anyone who is the black owl since about 1950 has been a clone of Doug Danville and the gray vulture was a failed experiment to clone Doug Danville and has gone off on his own to live a life of villainy. Okay. 
So every single one of these characters is a failed or successful clone? The the protagonist is not. He is Okay. He is a kid from the streets picked the up side to give kick. a new perspective. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Well, my first thought was where are the women? Yeah. Are, are there any females? <laughs> but I understand if you uh, if they're all clones, that's going to be a lot tougher, but if to to transcend some tropes, just throwing more women in there would be a good way to do it um i like the the twists and turns uh, i like the history you've built up it's a lot of good backstory and reveal that you can give out so what is the event that that triggers everything that happens so in the first hundred words he he witnesses the death of his mentor that's right. not the event the event comes a few days later when he's out on patrol trying to do the thing he's been trained to do and he sees the black owl who he knows is dead in action again. Okay. This just occurred to me. It may be a silly question, but what is going on with the, uh, the crime in the city while he's suddenly concerned with, with this secret conspiracy? Um, this transition's happened before. The the black owl has been killed and replaced before. Mm-hmm. So so the family does step up. They don't always know why, but they are told, you know, the black owl was on a mission. We need you to step up for a few days, and then he's back, and everything's fine. And that's that's typically uh, orchestrated by Turner, and sometimes with the help of Bud Pierce, who is also not a clone. The the first Eklund. Okay, cool. I think that's all I have to start out with. Okay. Cool. No, that's, those are those are key points for myself, Dave. On the first at first blush, you know, I'm hearing you know black owl and eaglet, and there's this almost tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, uh, 1940s uh, uh, superhero vibe to it, which distances me immediately from the story. But very quickly, as you go through your pitch, actually, as you started talking about the background for for Nathan and Turner, it it shifted from 1940s to Watchmen. Hard, hard Watchmen resonance in terms of the, the stripping away of those very broad primary color motivations of heroes to a very human story. That was very exciting for me. Uh, uh, and that's when I realized, oh, crap, there's there's food here. There's mojo here. I agree with Murr. Uh, where are the women? And we have to fix that. Um, yes, we do. And we will. I guarantee you. Um, I have a couple of questions and observations. How many? Now, now, to be clear, Turner was the original Black Owl, right? Correct. And Bud Pierce was the original Eaglet, right? Correct. So they know each other. Yes. Does Bud Pierce know about Turner's cloning machinations? He does. Okay. Um, He is is one of the few who knows because he was there when this idea of cloning backups started. Okay. Um, How many Black Owls have there been since Turner's original donning of the cape? I do not have a hard count. How about a rough count? Um, I figure it's been probably a couple of dozen. It's been several decades, and, you know, it's a rough life. And they're guys. They're not supermen. They are trained guys, and they die a lot more often than you would. the comic okay. books would indicate. Okay. All right. Um, we might even fudge a little bit of that, but cool. Um, I really like the, the issues of identity uh, uh, and the fact that your theme deals with coming of age uh, more often than not, the coming of age is achieving and desiring uh, a sense of identity, a sense of self, and achieving your place in the world. So I think the context of cowls and secret identities and superheroes is is a wonderful framework to play with in that. A couple of things that jumped out. Uh, uh, having Nathan go off and pity himself after he witnessed his hero uh, uh, die um, I went, ooh, I don't like him already. We need to like him. He, he needs okay. to be proactive and, no, oh, I will avenge my, 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 uh, uh, per, my, my, the death of my friend, uh, which I think can actually be the instigating incident that, that Murr was referring to uh, uh, in terms of starting him down the path and then have the revelation of the arrival of a 
Black Owl after I know his body was in the ca- owl cave or whatever be a, a, a sharp complication? Uh, an acceleration. I would push that back just a little bit because you've got a rich world in here. There needs to be some exploration of it. And Nathan's exploration of the death of his mentor could be a good way to do that without risking a lot of info dumps. Does that make sense? I, I Go don't know. I'm gonna. I, I, I want to disagree here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having him. I mean, if he's already perfect and wonderful, and and let's go avenge this. What's the coming of age? Mm. He d- he doesn't have to grow up. Then he's already grown up. That's a mature thing to do. Going off and pitying himself. That's a. I want to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters right there. <laughs> so it's it's the going off to pity yourself is. I I think it works as long as you know that's not going to be a standard character trait throughout the entire story. No, you raise a good point. There there we we need to wire him. He needs to be able to. He needs to start somewhere where he actually has an arc. You're right. He can't yeah. be a. He can't be a perfect Mary Sue. Um, I'm wondering if maybe the there. It's what superheroes do. You you solve the crime. You avenge the death. It is the playbook, the rule book that he's following as he goes through this. And I'm wondering if. The, 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 the arc for him is going to be the discovery that that rule book is based, as so many of us have found, uh, uh, that the rule book that you thought was a shining example of justice and honor is actually sullied by base emotions and desires. If that could be the, the, the crisis of faith and the evolution that he needs to work on. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, we, we can explore that on down the road. That's all I've really got. I want to turn it over to you, Mer, because you were going to be exploring uh, some of the tropes that you saw in there and how they could be worked with. What what jumped out at you as far as that goes? Well, the the role of the I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names, even in my own damn fiction. Um, <laughs> the the role of the the older guy. Uh, didn't you say he was playing to be a, a butler or something? Yes. Turner. Yeah, so he, he that that sounded like a purposeful trope. That's that's your Alfred, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that works. I like that. And you know, I I have a soft spot in my heart for the uh, the blue collar worker with the keys to the arsenal kind of thing. Sure. So I, I I like that and think that, that you could really develop that. That that was the first one that really jumped out at me, and I'll toss one out. But yeah, Pierce, you, you toss one out. Bud Pierce is is Robin, is is Dick Grayson. Oh yeah, uh, uh, as Nightwing going off to become his own. He's even got his Night Talon. That might be a little uh-huh. close. Um, yeah, that might be. Yeah, that that's cu- that's cutting close to satire right there. Um, but but that's another one of those uh, uh, first first sidekicks who go off and and achieve their own sense of identity. Uh, and, and that fascinates me, Dave, because, you know, for for the, a lot of the current Robins in the Batman mythology, Dick Grayson is either the the Messiah or Satan. <laughs> and and I'm I'm way oversimplifying that. But either they 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 aspire to be him or they consider him a failure. Uh, yeah. in the context of things. And again, with that coming of age arc, I think Bud Pierce maybe needs to play a more significant role in Nathan's evolution. Uh, and I'm wondering if Bud Pierce could be a girl. Absolutely could. I, I don't see, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no reason why the original Black Owl's sidekick couldn't be a female. And actually, in doing so, it introduces some intriguing gender politics that could be worth exploring as well. Yeah. So I'll put that out there. What else did you observe, Murr? Playing with tropes is has a little bit of, of challenge because of you're you're towing up to satire kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, there's homage, there's satire, there's just a stealing from kind of thing. And I'm not implying you're stealing from because I, I, I've known you for a very long time and I know your work and I know that's not path you would ever tread (laughs) either creatively or legally. But, um, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about the Nightwing thing, except for the fact that, like you said, the lot, how, how Robins view Nightwing. I think that's an interesting thing. Um, well, and it wouldn't necessarily have to be, 
You know, I, I think the, the value in the context of, of the story that Dave is evolving, there needs to be someone who has gone before uh, because his mentors uh, uh, are gone. We don't have a Yoda character for, right. and, and we don't need one necessarily, but Dan Danvers, the original Black Owl dies, killed by Grey Vulture, who ultimately can become a kind of dark mentor along the way. Turner is the actual antagonist and has Nathan's best interest not at all at heart. So we don't have anyone Nathan can reliably turn to for for sage wisdom and guidance. So wait, all the other old sidekicks are gone or dead? I haven't decided where they are, honestly. They might be floating around. Mm. We could definitely introduce another former yeah. sidekick who that's can, interesting because, Mur. yeah yeah because i mean i'm not saying they should be a yoda character i think they should be possibly a character that's maybe had a bad breakup with the hero and you know doesn't want to have anything to do with what's going on now and so be a sort of reluctant source of of information or guidance or whatever yeah well, and as he explores this this steadily unfolding and complex mystery of of the clones and 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 Dan Danville's incredible longevity, um, that would be a logical place for him to go. Uh, is is tapping those old? Oh, dude, that could be the arc. As as you look at all of the different ways that that relationship either fell apart or was broken or was awesome, but just went away because that Dan Danville was murdered, was killed, or whatever. Uh, going through the past sidekicks could be a really intriguing exploration of the support, the potential codependency of a support relationship, uh, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship, and and how that... Yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think, man? Is that something that is twigging for you? It, yeah, I'm scribbling right <laughs> as we speak. Excellent. No, I, I actually really liked it. And I, you know, as, as you went down that road of potential codependency, my, my mind goes to, you know, one got completely out of crime and is running a self-help group for codependency, not sidekicks, just, you know, codependency. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, that's a. One of them has been hopping from hero to hero as sidekick, uh, trying <laughs> desperately, well, yeah, trying desperately to maintain their identity, even though they're you know thirty four years old, they're still a sidekick. You know, in fact, they might even be older than the hero that they're sidekicking because they they can't break out of that that pattern, that cycle of I must follow orders of a better hero than me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, each one of these could be a facet of a mirror that Nathan needs to deal with. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I have. I have a couple of things. First of all, if there are dozens and maybe even more clones of Dan Danville's over time, there's a logistical problem in terms of sidekicks. If there are always sidekicks, then every time Dan Danville dies, you need to get a new sidekick too. Otherwise, the and again, I don't know how comprehensive your clone technology is, uh, but I would imagine they would recognize a difference between the old Danville that they ran with for years and years and this newly batched clone who's just coming out. Right. You know, I was going to play in my head. I've been playing with a lot of different possibilities like oh he got horribly he didn't really die he got horribly beaten and now he's wearing this armor yeah he died it's a clone but he's an armor and that buys time for that relationship to re-solidify or you know thou go you know we t- I talked earlier he goes on a, a mission overseas or maybe there's some periods when there weren't uh, sidekicks but yeah i think you're right I, d- I think i need to explore how each of those transitions occurred or didn't Okay. And and let me layer into that query this one. At some point, Dan Danville, the original, who has become since Turner, the manservant, decided it was a good idea to start cloning himself. Mm-hmm. Why? He He's not a great guy. He never really was a great guy. He probably got into this whole masked hero thing 
because it looked cool and he was a bored socialite. During the war, he got a hold of bad guy tech, Nazi tech, I guess, from World War II. He saw the potential of it, realized he wasn't going to make it forever, and rather than putting his own body on the line, decided he would start to use these copies of himself. They're still him. He owns them, so he can throw them out as resources. He's a perfect antagonist because I despise him. <laughs> oh, I hate him more and more the more I talk about him, really. Oh, God. Murr, does that trigger anything for you? Other than loathing and revulsion for this dude? No, yeah, it's terrible. It um, it, it reminds me of The Prestige. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that the one where he, he just basically makes clones of himself and kills him so he can do the perfect underwater escape? Yep. yep. Illusion? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that that's what it reminds me of, just the uh, cold calculating brutality of it all. Very much so. Very actually that's a that's an intriguing Oh god, see Dave, you really kind of I think you've built this this framework. I'm I'm concerned actually that there's too much going on here. There's too much awesome that you have pumped into this thing because there is this issue of the glamour and celebrity and the mask of superherodom, which can speak to all the things that we're dealing with apparently in social media and celebrity and the, the privilege of, of the 1%. Uh, I mean, that's all in there. Uh, you've got, you know, I'm, I can see at some point recently Turner making a turn and actually murdering one of the eaglets just to make it easier before uh, when when one of the Danvilles dies and he murders one of the eaglets and having that be maybe one of the things that that triggers Nathan and he point and that's that's an aberration in the cycle and the pattern that he starts unfolding and that might be a, a thread that could unravel uh, uh, and lead Nathan to turn I don't know I don't know I'm just kind of wandering down rabbit holes at this point my concern is that right now everything that we're talking about is very focused in the superhero uh, uh, culture of Prize City, and all of Nathan's engagements, all of Grey Vultures, everybody's context seems to be very much defined adjacent to other superheroes. And I'm wondering, uh, and Murray, you have some experience with this. Would it be Beneficial to introduce friends, uh, lovers, uh, uh, allies, whatever, that are not in that and let some of the real world uh, leech into Nathan's quest. I, I think that's we've learned through countless superhero tales that what makes superhero stories interesting is the human element. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it's exciting to talk about flying and capes and all that, but, you know, Spider-Man's uh, relationship with Aunt May is, I mean, he would be a completely different character if he didn't have that. Yep. So, you know, bringing in what humanizes the heroes is is vital. And, you know, whether they know the secrets or not is also a plot point, but I think I think you have to have something like that because that's... If you can't humanize your hero, then you can't care about them. Yeah, I agree. And at this point, everything that we've been presented with so far to allow us to understand and define and identify with Nathan has very much been in the context of the the, the four-panel, four-color comic book world. Um, Dave, what do you think about pulling pulling in more of the real-world realities? I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm, I'm finding it very ironic. There's a project that I've been had in the back of my head for probably 20 years, which is exactly the opposite of what we're talking about, which is entirely the day-to-day lives of superheroes and all the super stuff happens entirely off screen. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm finding it ironic that I've written, uh, you know, sort of set this up that is that is the opposite of that. But yeah, as as we talk about it, I can see, yeah, Nathan started on the streets, but he's been integrated in society, and he's got a, a romantic interest on the side, and they're worried about him because he's changing, and there's well, there's definitely some real potential there. And that time on the streets 
isn't just you know in air quotes and gone. Right. I mean, there were he survived. There were people that relied on him, and people on whom he relied. Yeah, you, yeah. you that that relate that experience doesn't just get cubbyholed, or if it does, that might be a problem too. You know, maybe he's maybe he's putting his back to that. God, there's so many different angles and perspectives to take with this. Mur, I want to talk to you. We have two antagonists here, as far yeah. as I can see. We've got Turner, who we all agree is a complete douche uh, and is cloning <laughs> himself for glory and and ego, uh, and and nobody else is more important than him. And um, But we've also got the Grey Vulture, who is a failed Danville, who managed to avoid uh, uh, Turner's... I'm sure Turner has been gunning for him, which is why the Grey Vulture is one of... Black Owl's most notorious nemesis uh, because Turner knows he has to die. He's living proof, especially in this modern age of genetic testing, to actually have somebody with the same DNA as an existing other person proving cloning and whatever, you know, rules that breaks. Uh, uh, Grey Vulture is, is, is dangerous, but he's also a nemesis as well as far as Nathan is concerned initially. Can you, can you have two antagonists, Mur? Is that legit? Of course. Of course you can. Um, I've been thinking about Miyazaki films recently and how he seems to introduce one antagonist in the first third of the movie, completely neuter them by the half of the movie, and then introduce another antagonist somewhere along there that's the real threat. Interesting. And he does this frequently. It's really interesting. You know, like in, in Spirited Away the no face is just like becomes this horrific monster. And uh, then he's completely pacified and then just like a companion for the rest of the movie. But um, <laughs> I just realized something. I, I think the vulture, the failed clone, the vulture, I think that might be your protagonist. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I'm sorry. The, 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 the sad failed coming of age, sidekick yeah that's interesting but the the failed clone that's also a hero that's a target for death that's kind of badass (laughs) that's really interesting to me and you know you can always do an a plot and a b plot but um i don't know if i'd call him an an antagonist i think uh when I, I, I took a course with Tracy Hickman, and one of the, I don't know if he came up with this concept, but I haven't heard it said anywhere else, which is describing all of the characters in a story. You've got the protagonist and the antagonist, but there's another called the contagonist, and they <laughs> may be on the hero's side, but certainly isn't going to do them any favors. And the, 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 my favorite contagonist that I like to use as an example here would be Cordelia from Buffy. She's right. not evil, but she sure as hell doesn't want Buffy to succeed. She can't stand her. Yeah. But she's not bad. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't strive to stand in the way of Buffy fighting crime or monsters. But, you know, you can have the vulture in in that role of, you know, I, I, I'm not evil, but I'm sure as hell not going to help you. Yeah. And um, but I, I I just starting to think. I may want to see that story more than the other one. I, I think you may have hit on something, Mur, because I, I got I kind of have to agree with her, Dave. Of of the two characters, uh, uh, Gray Vulture comes in a, just a, a, a scooch higher on the wow scale in terms of of interest and engagement than Nathan. I, um, I, I have to admit, as I was reading this. In this in this, this podcast, <laughs> I was like, I wonder if Vulture's the protagonist. So yeah. I'm kind of glad to hear that. So this all started if it was just this. I think somebody else made a a Facebook post, and I got the idea in my head of what if you know this street level hero just hasn't survived for seventy years. He just keeps getting replaced every time. Yeah. And, you know, Nathan became my eyes on that world. But, you know, maybe Nathan served his role and now I'm going to write about the vulture. No, I got it. I got it. Yeah, you don't have to use this, of course, but I got it. Okay. 
the vulture is the very, very reluctant mentor to the sidekick. He does not want to help this kid solve this mystery. He does not. He never, you know, he does not like his role in the world, does not want to help, but the kid needs help and needs a father-slash-hero figure still. And if we go the Yoda way, you're going to have to kill him, but I don't like that idea. But you're still going to have to... Uh, I, I love stories about the reluctant mentor. I mean, I really like it of, of... I don't want this role. I don't want to be a father. I don't want to be a babysitter. I don't want any of this. And yet, it's what needs to happen. And so they do it. And the kid doesn't want it either, but it needs to happen. That kind of thing. I don't want you to drop the sidekick. I think I think I like that narrative. I'm not saying go with Vulture, drop the sidekick completely. So I was thinking <laughs> that's one way that they could yeah. both be working together. Absolutely. Yeah. No, none of what you just, everything of what you just said is awesome. And none of it precludes the, the presence and, and relevance of Nathan because Nathan then becomes the catalyzing incident that brings the gray vulture from his cycle of, of despair and denial, the, 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 the Wolverine syndrome or whatever other, you know, heroes, you know, the, the Han Solo syndrome, whatever, uh, where it's like, yes, I'm a hero, but screw you. Uh, uh, it's mm-hmm. too hard. And it's easier for me to just be here and do my little stuff and, and, and stay hidden. And Nathan can bring that out, uh, which, which is cool. I'm, I'm going to make a suggestion to tell the story that you were t- going to tell uh, uh, in novella uh, uh, or even even in short story. I don't know. Uh, uh, what's is there something between short story and novella? A novelette? Novelette. Novelette. Um, but tell Nathan's story uh, uh, and have it be a tragedy and have him die at the end of the story and pick up the second story with the gray vulture moving forward. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to suggest that maybe this is bigger than just one narrative arc. Fair. <laughs> cool. Well, look guys, the, the clock is running down. It's, it's actually already run down uh, and fled the door. So we, as much as I don't want to, <laughs> we need to start moving this towards that final phase. Uh, uh, so, so we're going to do once more around the table. Mur, uh, give Dave just a, a brief summary of stuff's ideas, uh, advice, shove a bunch of literary gold in his pocket uh, so he can go and write this intriguing, intriguing story. Okay. Bring in more women. Not sure where. Clone story, kind of tough, but I know you can do it. Um, <laughs> do the, uh, make, give Grey Vulture a much bigger role because he's got a lot of story potential. So much story potential. You know, reluctant heroes are just so awesome. Everyone loves the reluctant hero because they they are a hero and they eventually do the right thing, whether they like it or not. Um, (laughs) And, uh, gosh, I think you've got something strong here. You just need to find your right focus. And and you may disagree with me on where your focus is, but I'm pretty sure you'll find it regardless. I'm not sure about killing Nate. Uh, not sure I agree with that, but I'm not sure what I would say to combat that. So, and it's it's um, not a fight. No, you're, t- you're totally legit. No, no, I'll fight you. I'll fight you. I'll fight you. <laughs> I'll fight you. Um, no, it's it's I, I I think it's got a lot of potential, and and you know when you do eventually write the role playing game based on this world, I want to play it. <laughs> Fair deal. There you go. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I. I, I'm not. I'm honestly not even sure. I'm sold on the idea of having Nate die at the end of the first story or whatever. Uh, uh, Dave, you've got so many cool things. You know, the, the coming of age in the context of a superhero culture, where masks and secret identities pretty much mean you can't come of age, or because you're leading a dual life. What does that mean, actually? And having Turner be the dark mirror of what that means. You become a villain. Uh, uh, and and little quick sidebar, I could totally see Turner aligning himself with villains and actually funding villainy in order to give Black Owl somebody to fight and to preserve his value in the eyes of the populace of Prize City. 
I'm not even going to suggest the the, the political parallels of what that implies. Um, but <laughs> sidebar done. Um, Nathan's story is fascinating. Gray Vulture's story is fascinating. Honestly, Bud Pierce, whether it's Bud or or, or Brenda Pierce, uh, uh, the, the the story of a failed sidekick and that sidekick not failed but evolved sidekick and what that means. You have so many intriguing facets and vehicles in here. I agree with Murr. You need to pick one. But that doesn't mean the others must go away. I think what you need to do, Dave, and and this is just, again, this hornswoggle flag is flying high. I think you need to do some discovery writing and just explore. Uh, uh, write some stories that that have no intention of being put out in the world necessarily, uh, uh, but write from the Grey Vulture's perspective. Learn about Bud or Brenda Pierce. Learn about Turner, and and figure out where these themes are. I think I, I wish I could give you more to go and write this this story. I'm not sure any of us on this call know what that story is yet. And until you do, any efforts you make need to be towards research, not necessarily towards uh, a. a quote unquote first draft does that make sense makes perfect sense excellent excellent holy crap wow all right dave here's the deal uh uh in order to assist and facilitate your evolution and discovery and working of this cool story world we want to give you a free year's subscription to Archivos. <laughs> Unfortunately, Dave has been a beta tester for Archivos for over almost a year now. Uh, so I'll tell you what, Dave, you can hand out that coupon to anyone else that you want uh, uh, and be, be the benefactor of Archivos awesomeness to somebody else in the world, okay? Sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> and and Murr, I will tell you that the other thing that we're doing for our guest hosts as a gesture of gratitude and appreciation, we're going to give you a free year's subscription to Archivos as well. So you can seriously. Under- yes, awesome. absolutely. So and I don't know uh, you're you're because of the Panzer vibe that you, the discovery writer vibe that you work with. I'm really curious to find out if Archivos is a tool that you can find useful to you, either as a story development tool in evolving your stories or possibly as a documentation tool after you've written them. I will, I will look forward to finding out how you use it, but that is definitely going to be in your emails within the next 48 hours, ma'am. Yay, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Dave Went, dude, this has been, as always, a delight to, to spend time with you. But also, in this particular case, this story, uh, it doesn't generate that kind of intriguing conversation without having the story legs. It needs to be something truly special. Thank you so much for bringing it to us, man. My absolute pleasure. It was a blast. It was. It truly was. And Mo Lafferty, the, having achieved your trifecta, once again, you acquit yourself with, with grace and glory, ma'am. Thank you so much. And and uh, uh, I, I sincerely hope that uh, we can get you back on before too much time has passed, because this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for hitting that play button, because without you doing that, we're just people talking on a Skype line about story, which is awesome, actually. But now by hitting that play button, you've got the awesome, too. You caught the spark. The virus of of creative uh, fire is now pulsing through your bloodstream. You've got ideas. I know you do. I heard you shouting at your car stereo speaker as you were listening to the episode. Put those ideas down. And if you're feeling that love, then feel free to spread the word. Let people know about the Archivos Podcast Network and the fabulous works that we're doing here in service to story and storytellers alike. Ah, so, wow. Um, One benefit of doing this in the autumn is that it doesn't get nearly as hot in the studio as it used to during the summertime. I'm still a bit drippy, uh, however, but, you know, friends... That's okay. In a couple of weeks, we will come back. We will do it again. We will bring another guest host into the mix to pour wisdom in our ears, another courageous guest writer to to bring us a story brainstorm, more Archivos podcast goodness for all. It's 14 days, and I'm sorry about that, but friends... Between now and then, it's Nano. Get your words. Get your 1667 a day hurtling towards that 50,000 words on November 30th at 1159, because I know how that works. 
Look for that stuff. Look for the goodness. Look for the wow, the top shelf, blue label fun. Look for those words. And if you seek them out, you will find them. I promise you. We'll be back in 14 days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.